Welcome to the Owl Hoot Podcast with me, Caroline Norbury. This is a show for any person interested in the environment and sustainability. I arrived at a point in my own life where I wanted to know more about the state of our planet and how I can play my part, albeit small, in mitigating climate change, reducing pollution and supporting biodiversity. I decided that chatting to others who are already doing something might be a good place to start. So each episode will feature a different guest telling their stories in and around an environmental activity that will perhaps provide you with ideas that you can incorporate into your own life. Enjoy listening and let me know if you have a topic you'd like to hear more about on the podcast and I'll do my best to address it. In this episode, we take a look at borrowing toys through my chat with Anne-Marie McMillan, manager and founder of the Derbyshire Toy Libraries. I've been lucky enough to know Anne-Marie for over 20 years when she started up the Crite Millennium Toy Library and needed some extra help getting it up and running. Since that time, Anne-Marie has worked tirelessly to provide parents and carers with the opportunity to access a vast range of toys that's really helpful uh, in their child's development and also gives them the opportunity to find out what their child likes, dislikes, uh, what they most engage with in terms of these toys. And on the back of this, there is a real potential to reduce toy consumption and plastic pollution. So without further ado, we're going to get straight into the conversation and uh, welcome Amory to the podcast. Thank you, Caroline. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, so I'm going to start with uh, a bit of bit of background, uh, your life prior to the toy library, because you weren't always uh, involved in this particular type of area. So can you give me a bit of a, a bit of what life was like before your ta- toy library days? Pre-toy library, I was a, a building services engineer for a local construction company but got made redundant and I was found out I was pregnant at the same time uh, with my daughter Phoebe. Cut. I felt at the time I was a bit cut off in my prime because uh, I did envisage it to be a lifelong uh, career and was very excited by it so uh, had took time out had Phoebe and utilised uh, Crouch Medical Practice uh, baby clinic and met up with some mums like yourself Caroline and uh, we there was a toddler group and bounded around was um, the idea of a get, getting together more and the idea of a toy library. Was it that you had the need for it at the time or did you think oh there's a there's a requirement here in the community that needs filling and I can do that what was your motivation? Perhaps initially I think it was a a big gaping hole in me because uh, I felt I just lost my purpose. Mm. So I've always been driven. So I took the opportunity when uh, Phoebe uh, started getting a little older and taught, I, there were lots of opportunities for adult education classes and uh, so I looked, didn't know where my career was going to take me. So I took the opportunity of learning additional skills and computers, computer programs and uh, other skills um, and there was also crash facilities as well around that time so I was a bit of a course junkie um, I've always been into um, recycling whatever and green so I'd already formed that company developed a, a, a recycling program for the construction company 
and just look to progress from there but the us mums together uh, we, we just seemed to click and there was the need there was a need I felt for the, the service in Christ it was highlighted originally by Anne Luddit and Julie White who were two of the health visitors at the time as there was a similar service going on in Belper and so myself and some of the other mums we we volunteered at Belper and and had a look at what we thought the pros and cons of it were and how we would adapt it for a different area of Christ because it, it was quite different to, to Belper. We thought if we're going to do this we, w we want to access you know, funds and whatever so set about it was quite a short turnaround I think we started planning in the November. Melanie Allen she was originally taking the lead and moving it forward but then she was quite ill with her second child so she, she rolled up on my doorstep with a plastic bag of how-to's starter pack from the National Association of Toy and Leisure Libraries and uh, that was it really uh, so we set a programme and full speed ahead of with the aid of the National Association we thought we'd put some proper uh, training in place but they wanted us to go to like they said when we got, I contacted them they said oh we only run training in London and I said well we're all young mums with babies that that's really not possible for us um, so we were quite trailblazers because we really were insti instigated how the National Association would then develop their training program of sending their trainers around the country so they said well it basically if you can get enough people to attend will run introduction to toy library training and uh, so they gave us a printout of the members in and around Derbyshire and Derby City and and we invited them to the to the Crouch Cleveville Centre. How easy was it then to take on their knowledge of what what they'd already been doing elsewhere and get Crouch up and running? Actually that wasn't too bad um, getting it up and running because we already had very enthusiastic uh, health visitors and we had the toddler group at, at the Crichton Field Centre and uh, we just basically chose the skills of the different people like uh, Jackie, she worked for Barclays Bank, treasurer, someone else uh, designed, uh, Debbie Crook, uh, she uh, had a computer company, uh, designed websites etc so uh, we put her into that genre and and really, because there wasn't uh, any playgroup, that many playgroups and access to play in, because it, it, Crouch is quite isolated. The buses are very few and far between. You know, that everyone was very engaged and wanting to get on board. We decided quite soon to, if we're going to go for it, let's to register as a charity, because that would allow us as a constituted group as well to access greater funds. And that we did that as sort of a fast track so we that took less than six months which was quite good and at the point of launching I think we we applied for various grants from very small pots helped by Derbyshire Foundation and, and Amber Valley CBS to, uh, to the tune of about £4,000 which was way above mm. when you think 21 years ago that was a considerable sum of money for sure but we also did some very simple things as well. I went through the, the Yellow Pages, local when local Yellow Pages, and basically highlighted all the local companies 
and we approached them with a letter of either donating money or goods that would be useful to us in the facilitating um, the toy library. And one, one of the most useful things was the local garage gave us a load of folding um, plastic boxes, which we're still using today. But it was quite funny as well. Certain individuals, when we did approach them, thinking that we would get quite significant levels of funding, we would, I remember one local business, here we got five pounds, and someone we didn't know from Adam uh, gave us a hundred pounds. So, but definitely going for that targeted local approach was very uh, successful and it kept people engaged. And we also sought to get a, a figurehead as in the form of a patron. And we were very lucky to uh, basically have uh, Simon Groom, who's the uh, former Blue Peter presenter who lived locally in Dethic, still does live in Dethic. And uh, he was very enthusiastic, came along to our launch in May and he was be supportive with his wife, Julie, to come along to various events through the time he was our patron. And how important is it to have a visible patron like that to um, a charity like the Toy Library? I think it is important to have a, a, a visible one because it's, it's good to... In to show other people in the wider field of your charity that you can attract the attention and support of a well-known person. It doesn't have to be a celebrity necessarily, just somebody who, uh, or it could be from business or who is supported uh, of your charity. After Simon stood down because of, of his commitments, um, we approached, we had a, a, a meeting to discuss who, who we could attract and what we did realise, one of the our members coming along to the toy library sessions with her daughter was uh, James Lewis's, uh, the local uh, auctioneer from Bamford's, but he was also uh, increasingly appearing on TV with antiques and whatever. So he, mm. he was quite, and he's quite a raconteur character. Uh, and he's also in recent years done a 24-hour Guinness Book of Record auctions and we were his chosen charities and we've had uh, done evening with events with James to as, as fun fundraisers as well. You mentioned earlier that in fact you'd already got into green ways of working and living when you were at your previous employer. Did you see the toy library then through those eyes? Did you think oh this is something good because people will buy less toys or was it largely about development or but, but maybe both? I think it was more at the time sort of community development because I could see that was lacking at the time and but also saw having good quality toys uh, that for their longevity, sustainability as well. Um, and people you know, were very pleased at that time to be able to access the toys that they couldn't afford or... We, we also around that time, because of that being employed, I oh, oh, missed that bit, didn't I? Um, through setting up Crich, I then uh, applied to the National Association of Toy and Leisure Libraries as an outreach worker for Derbyshire to develop toy libraries and uh, support existing. So that tied in very well with, with Crich. So the National Association put together the Good Toy Guide, uh, which various settings tried and tested toys accordingly and these were sought at the annual toy fair in London Excel so we 
had a lot of resources that weren't even in the shop so that brought in a lot of attention um, to the group as well and brought people from further afield than Christ as well. And in terms of uh, where you went from there because you're now you're now heading up the Derbyshire toy libraries when did you look to think of this uh, to sort of go more outward with your with your ideas? Well what happened was we started uh, with the development role of the outreach worker working with other toy libraries in Derbyshire then um, I was being contacted when, I, when our funding got cut and it was there was just Crouch left um, that these some of the other toy libraries started to struggle so we actually were invited to take them over so I think the first one we took over was Belper uh, and which was quite handy because that was on our doorstep uh, then we took over Worksworth, Matlock and uh, we took on a group in Kilburn as well so we then changed the name from we had changed the name already from Crouch Millennium uh, to just Crouch Toy Library and then as we took over these other ones, we thought, oh, we're calling the Crouch family of toy libraries, but that really didn't work. And, and it, what we thought we would be looking at was a more Derbyshire approach. So we thought, why not go for to be Derbyshire toy libraries? But why it was libraries rather than toy library, there were uh, other toy li independent toy libraries operating. So we thought they would just sort of join us and we would become the overarching mm -hmm. um, charity. But in how it is now, we are really in, in the show. We are the only one. So right. we're referred to as Derbyshire Toy Library. So what, what's the biggest challenge then of keeping a toy library going? Having systems in place. What's been uh, having the, the COVID and having all our uh, stay in plays stopped because that's how we've historically hired toys through our stay in place sessions. Um we, we used to have, with just having Christ, we just had one, a few catalogues because that's all the, the toys we had at one venue. But when we started taking over all these other uh, groups and their resources as well, we couldn't possibly have a catalogue with all those toys. So for a number of years, we've operated without any um, visuals. And it's it was an issue that kept getting flagged up time and time again. We had a website with a, a limited number of toys and resources on but the tech having the the finance to keep up with the the technology was also an issue but have but having the stay in plays they could see the toys so yeah that's how it sort of bumbled along um but with um we've accumulated over the years somewhere in the over a thousand in fact we don't know how many toys we have but it is well, well in excess of a thousand but over the this past 12 months, we have done a significant cull. In fact, it's the past two years we started with the help of uh, Lindsay Willis, uh, a local uh, one of our members. And uh, we've done a significant cull and we've been uh, selling off uh, to raise funds for the, for the charity and cascading toys to other charities as well because we get joint always get uh, offers of donations as well so that's coming into our core uh, modus of operandi as well that and being the green card that uh, when they're donated they either come into the toy library uh, and we incorporate them into our stock uh, we use them as spares or going into theme packs uh, we have a selling and fundraising group page so 
we, we use that quite a lot. Uh, but more recently, and particularly through lockdown, we've uh, been networking with other local charities like the Food Bank, um, TOGS and another local charity. Uh, and so we've cascaded out and put in development age stage um, packs together and gifted those. So that really the only thing going to landfill is broken uh, toys. So, so nothing really goes to waste and, and we just are in the process of formalising that into a more um, process. That must be super rewarding to know that not only are your toys getting well used in the community but that you've got a place that you've got ways of making sure they don't just get discarded largely um, mm. which is, is is no mean feat is it trying to uh, keep them in circulation some way or somehow. Well, that's right. And having the database where we can track them, that's what we're working on at the moment. We've had funding from uh, the community fund from the lottery. So that will be fantastic when, when that's finished. But we're also trying to avoid fads uh, and toys of, of poor quality. Um, I think about five or six years ago, I think the, the average child at Christmas was was spent on the in the region of four hundred pounds, and most of those toy they're by Boxing Day, they could even be discarded or bought off. Mm. So, it's like you said earlier on in the in the interview is the conversation that choosing toys that would meet the needs of that child, and one of our new projects, uh, which we hope will use greatly in. Uh, landfill as well it's, it's called our purposeful play packs so we're looking for families to sign up from birth or even whilst pregnant um, and we will on a three monthly rotation provide them with a pack of resources and support notes and a forum whether it's going to be a whatsapp group or facebook forum um, to support uh, parent new parents or parents generally uh, for that age stage of development and then rotating them on and we we've just had funding for a pilot of that and we're very excited and we're just developing the sub brand for that uh, and we we under, we plan that health professionals and uh, other charities will be able to buy in um, that service for families in need we do have a self-referral and a, a other charity or organisational referral, referral system for families in need uh, and where we'll provide free toy hire or membership it is very low key so it, it's not made obvious which fa which of our families are receiving that service mm -hmm. and particularly through lockdown and families being furloughed you know we have been supporting a wide range you know some that have just you know, quite been quite affluent in the past and just you know everything's dried up and they're finding them in quite a sticky situations you know and some of the arguments have been but you know are we still relevant through lockdown you know should we still be running um i mean our last day in play was the 16th of march last year and the click and click started with a phone call from a parent uh wanting resources really realizing they hadn't even prepared for the lockdown and were worried how they were going to support their child because they didn't really have many toys at home because their child monday to friday was in a nursery 
and uh, so that's how it started then that weekend we had so many inquiries through the social media and website so we just started from home and the the resources that we had ready for Belk Goes Green in the May um, to hire those out and they just they'd gone uh, and then after that time uh, I needed to take do weekly checks at Belk Community Hall because I was chair and uh, as part of that I thought I would take the opportunity of putting out extra toys for the request from the hall and then Boris said you could if you can't work from home choose somewhere out you know you'll have to go to your place of work so then Belper Community Hall basically became my home uh, for seven days a week at, at one point and uh, we we took the opportunity well, it was just myself running it um this uh, click and collect scheme uh, I got permission from the trustees and it was good because it was actually keeping the hall safe and secure because something was going on. Uh, and we had the opportunity then to pull toys from our other venues that we had run stay and plays. And my colleague Lindsay jumped on board in September. And that's when the, the real work of culling everything. And, and we had lottery funding to, to start the database and have online memberships which and that was a real game changer because uh, being able to join easily um, we we now have 200 members since September which uh, has been fantastic. It would have been very easy to just go oh this is how we've operated this is our model um, we'll just wait until we're back up and running but you, you've 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 taken quite a difficult situation and you've adapted to it and and you've changed systems and processes to and evolved how the library works in order to keep that that going and if anything it sounds like you've strengthened the community uh, for for borrowing toys from the library i think one of the wor real worries in the early days was the criticism we would come under for the you know, under the clean the scrutiny for cleaning the toys and resources um, so I took the time to photograph the process and what we were doing, what products we were using and how we, you know, were dismantling toys and really being very thorough. Uh, and those went online and that those almost went viral. And we've only had a, only a couple of negative comments through that time, you know, nearly 12 mm. months now. Um, and it's it's been staggering. And it sounds like some of the things that you've put in place that you'll you'll obviously keep like online, being able to enrol people, keep volunteers, and keep um, borrowers through sort of through the online system. Even I mean, even when you go back to stay and play, presumably that's something you will hope to go back to. Yeah, we do, we will hopefully when when we've got uh, all the protocols and everything in place, we'll we look we'll look to and the data's uh, looking good. Uh, to starting the stay and plays back gradually uh, th through uh, later on in the year um, so yeah we're very much looking forward to because we have missed that face-to-face -face, uh, engagement although you know we've we've the clicking letters been toys have been handed over outside the building no families have come in at all mm. uh, and um, the stay and plays were, were very much a very social activity and we have volunteers uh, a lot of meet and greeters and, and it was quite a lifeline to families because their families lived far away as well 
um, and we've very much missed as well. We we have another project called uh, Young at Heart, which we ran intergenerational stay and plays in the local care settings. Um, so it was very much like a stay and play with families can bring their babies to school aged children coming in and engaging uh, with the, the the residents. So we've had to move online um, for that since September, and we've been doing weekly zooms, but. Uh, that's been very, uh, very beneficial to both parties because I think not not just the elderly felt isolated, a lot of the families felt isolated too. Mm. Uh, what What's clear and coming through is that there are these two strands of um, the, the, the green side of things being more environmental or being as, as, as good as you can in terms of sustainability and also this community bringing people together um, and benefiting different parts of the community. Which lens do you tend to uh, focus on? Or is it just that the two strands run, par- you know, run, run, run together? I think the two strands run together because the com- the com- that is all our community from, you know, the, we, we, we say we're from birth to 105, which is the eldest resident in the, in the care 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 home way mm. where we deliver the intergenerational mm. so our, our mantra for the toy library that we promote to to families is that well-known uh, quote by george bernard shaw um he said we don't stop playing because we grow old we grow old because we stop playing how fabulous yeah what was your highlight Within your world of the toy library, have you had sort of standout moments that you'd like to share? I'd love to. I was very excited to have been invited two two years ago. It was the centenary of the uh, National Volunteer Organisation. And I had an email to invite me to um, Windsor Castle to meet the Queen, who was the patron. And that was an amazing experience. How fabulous. And you know, got to, I was presented to the Queen, and we were then chosen by the NCVO as because it tied into the charity volunteer month. So our uh, chair, Lavinia Smith, uh, we we wrote a two-way blog and uh, had various uh, articles shared throughout uh, nationally through that time. So we were very proud of ourselves then, but we were used as a uh, to, to highlight that. Well, yeah, justifiably, you should have been proud, <laughs> for sure. And, and more recently as well, the International Toy Library Association, they picked up on our doing the click and collect from March. So, And we've, we also had uh, acknowledgement for that as well. So it's nice to be recognised in by those professionals. And for sure. And have other, uh, other, do you know if other toy libraries in other communities have taken that, that approach, the click and collect? <laughs> There are a few. We we network with um, the Smart Play work, Smart Play Network in Scotland, which were formerly the Scottish Office of the National Association before it went into administration. Um, and we also network with um, uh, toy libraries in, in Milton Keynes and uh, the Merrygoround Toy Library in Exeter. Um, sadly, the Milton Keynes toy library which was linked to the preschool learning alliance they took the decision in march that uh, it was too risky to um, run toy library 
sessions or or toy loan um, and through that they have actually folded whereas we took the chance and put the systems in place and the health and safety and as you said earlier it, it's been a great success for us and, mm. and with the 1000 toys it's a great achievement uh, Anne-Marie outside of the toy library I, I know that you also engage in other sort of uh, green activities or try on your way of life is trying to uh, think about being a sort of conscious consumer and, and what you do with your waste mm. can you share a little bit about the sorts of things that you do outside of the toy library that you that contribute to sustainability yeah i think um we, we're very lucky in belper to have a, a transition uh, group which is all about reducing waste and, and how we live our lives um transition belper run annual uh, festivals called Belper Goes Green at the local rugby club and we would provide a pop-up play zone and just networking with other users and uh, and the committee with that was quite an eye-opening and see how I thought I was quite green but I could go further and it's what I wanted to to strive for and we have also another person Sue um, who's influenced a lot of people in locally and she uh, developed Shock Sue Sustainables for refill refills and sustainable living. So with those people, um, I was striving to have a, a reduce the plastic and uh, waste within our family. But through lockdown, that has been uh, a, a problem because of uh, having to go back to Amazon and other things when other shops and things weren't available mm. so it's it's a, a mind a mindset as well because i was you know trying so hard for and um, working all out working through basically a, a bit of a tick list that um we we use uh, environmental uh, reuse we use sustainable liquids in our uh, domestic cleaning um washing up liquid things like that um we'd already gone through who gives a crap getting that toilet paper? So we we missed out on that dilemma of everyone clearing the supermarkets. So a little bit of gloating there, uh, <laughs> uh, and just some common sense. You know, we, having going back to the roots of you know bread shops in Christchurch, we've got a fantastic bread shop called the Loaf, and they deliver the local veg shop through the pandemic has delivered and and it's really. Uh, going back to basically that you don't have to go to supermarkets there is a different way of living mm. and part of it was also brought on because my, my dad uh, it was on, is on palliative care so in being in a bubble I didn't want to put ourselves at risk um, going to such places as well sure Sure. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to uh, bring our conversation to a close. And what I, the last two questions I'd like to ask you, one of them is, OK, what would you recommend? What would be your top tip to other people if they were starting out on their sustainability journey? And it may it may be related to the toy library. Um, what would you recommend? Well, I think if they, they've got uh, planning a family or have children, definitely join a toy library. Um, yeah. and avoid those if people aren't buying all these faddy toys and the cheap toys then you know the, the manufacturers will have to look elsewhere or look at manufacturing uh, more environmentally friendly 
and just looking at the simple things you know I don't think you should put too much pressure on yourself which I think I did probably looking back um but just going for the quick fixes and the things mm. and making it a journey and uh, and because I don't think you really leave the journey um and just see how I think the programs as well I mean da David Attenborough you know it's just so shocking how you've seen the results of seeing the the waste in the in the seas and you know looking at barley and whatever and you think of these amazing blue seas and then suddenly you know there's bottles crisp packets and all sorts of waste and to think that the other part is that we think we're being great by putting everything in that recycling bin and now the powers that be aren't recycling it they're shipping it off to third world countries and i think that is travesty so but if everyone makes a little effort then the world will be a better place yeah i think you make a really good point there that you've got to be kind to yourself and and, and do, do the best that you can is, is the message i'm getting from you and finally quest final question then so 2050 is quite it's going to be quite a significant target point it, it would seem mm. um how do you envisage the world then um, I, mean, I suppose people would say that everything's going more digital. So, but I still think even then there'll be a part for, you know, traditional types of play, and and how we educate parents and children because it is very much learning through play. And I suppose with all the cars and um, changing over to electric and and fewer the. The hoping that we've learnt the lessons of through lockdown and and the impact on the environment that we can make these changes and it will be we it will be better because there is no plan b yes yes we have to strive strive forward that's for sure and remain optimistic and do our bit Right, it's been it's been marvelous. Thank you very much for taking the time out to share your experiences of the toy library and uh, in and around that. So thanks for being on the on this episode and on our podcast. Thank you, Caroline. Most appreciated. And it, sure, I should really say something. It's really a team effort. It's not just me. Yes, I you you you've definitely um, that has come across when you've talked about uh, all the different people that you've drawn on. So that definitely has come across. So thanks again. Thanks to Anne-Marie for sharing her experiences of running a toy library and giving us an insight into a charity organisation that benefits both the community and the environment. You can find more about the Derbyshire Toy Libraries through the link in the show notes on my podcast page at www.theowlhoop.com forward slash podcast. I'd also like to thank Jeremy Jones for providing the music and you for listening. If you want to hear more stories of people doing great things that positively impact our environment, then please do subscribe, rate and review through your podcast app. And why not share this episode with someone you think might enjoy it? Next time, you can look forward to hearing Dave Golson, author of the popular science book on bumblebees, A Sting in the Tail, and most recently, The Garden Jungle. Until next time, bye for now.